Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, Gianna DiMedio, on the line with us today. Gianna, how are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you today? Oh, good. It's Tuesday. It's not quite 12 degrees, and I have no complaints. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Florida, and it is freezing down here, too. So oh, no. actually, the, the on the weather last night, they said that a spot in Florida was going to be 33 degrees in the morning, and Anchorage, Alaska was going to be 36. And yet there's no such thing as global warming. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. I keep saying the same thing. Yeah. So um, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, just give a little backstory of who you are. Yeah. So I, oh gosh, I'm Italian. I'm a Leo at heart. I love to talk. So this is perfect for me to be on this podcast. I also have my own podcast called So Sorry for Your Loss. Uh, that started for me a few years ago because I unfortunately suddenly lost my dad. I was 27 years old. He was 63, way too young, had a heart attack. And it really set me off on quite a journey into this world of grief and what the hell all this is and just how awkward it is in society because nobody really wants to talk about it. You know, I've now been in the phase where I've had the two guarantees of life, right? There's birth and there's death. I've birthed a child and I've lost a parent and everyone around me handled both of those so incredibly different. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird is like, why? Like, we know that both of those are going to happen. We know that they're such a part of life. Why are we so awkward and uncomfortable when it comes to grief and when it comes to death? And that experience made me feel really lonely in my own grief. So I set out to kind of change that. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be so somber. There's some really great stories that come out of the darkest times of people's lives. And I wanted to highlight that. I wanted to make it more approachable. My podcast is fun. We talk about entertainment news. There's so much death in entertainment news lately. Oh, my gosh. Betty White. We lost her. Oh. Bob Saget. You know, the biggest character on Sex and the City died. And there, there's so much to, to talk about and just make it more approachable. Um, but I somehow convinced my corporate job that I knew that I was doing with podcasting and I started a podcast there. So I work for a health system in Philadelphia and that has been an absolute wild ride during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, the, the most exhausting yet thrilling time of my career to be a part of something so so powerful, you know, um, and just being right at the front of it, talking with the doctors day after day about what the hell is going on has been really interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm married. I said, I have a baby. We're kind of traveling the country now that we're all virtual and I am just trying to make it through day by day, you know, having a lot of grief in my life, but wanting to really embrace life at the same time and just knowing how precious it can be. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I've dealt with a lot of, you know, a fair amount of grief and, and, and loss at a young age. Like my uncle died when I was like six or seven. Um, my one grandmother when I was probably like four. So you're like, you're a little bit too young to fully like grasp mm -hmm. and understand um, what was going on. I think the first major loss was probably my grandmother um, about 11 years ago you know, we were very close. She'd live with us. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of the first, you, you know, you had friends of uh, mine whose parents passed away, which was really shitty. Um, but, you know, in terms of like immediacy to me, it was probably the loss of my grandmother, you know, which is, you know, at 25 years old, you know, that's a big chunk. So very similar age to you with your father. Um, I'm wondering if from a loss perspective, if there's like a, an age cutoff that you think where, it like impacts you differently, right? Like you're able to kind of grasp what has actually transpired versus like you're just kind of not really aware of or cognizant of how it's going to impact you later on in life. That's a good question, but I don't think it's possible to be one size fits all. Oh yeah. You know how there's people that are just very old souls or people that are in their twenties and they're so immature, you know, it's just kind of impossible because I think there are probably children that are dealing with way more than any child should they mm -hmm. probably have different relationships with people at a different age like it could impact people a seven-year-old who loses their grandmother could impact somebody very very differently than a 28 year old who loses their grandmother that relationship between the people is very important too you know 
for some people, you know, me losing my father was a monumental shift in my life for other people. If they have a strange relationship or they, you know, just don't talk, it may not affect them at all. And that is the question that you bring up is what makes loss so intricate because there is no one size fits all. Here's, here's the sheet of how you respond to someone who just had this loss, because there are so many different factors that determine how it impacts somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest dilemma or like the biggest, you know, duality amongst the the losses, like there, there typically are two, like right, sudden and tragic, car accident, heart attack, Mm -hmm. brain injury, things that you like, couldn't possibly account for, right? They're here today, gone tomorrow. And like, that is catastrophic, right? And then like someone who deals with like a prolonged illness. Um, You know, I recently had a friend of mine whose father suffered at a very young age alzheimer's and passed away like at a very young age mm. like 60 years old passed away of of alzheimer's and like to me like there are those two different kinds of loss and like neither one of them is easier or neither one of them is harder um but i would imagine that sudden kind of loss that you experience with your father just begs to like rip open something that you can't oh. quite right yeah 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 So I I do have something to say on this. What I do say about a sudden loss versus a prolonged loss or a loss that you knew was coming is that they're obviously both grief, right? But the grief just starts at a different date. So generally with the losses of, you know, somebody is sick or you know that it's coming, that grief starts at the date of diagnosis or Mm. the date of, you know, they go into hospice or the date where you realize it's not, they're not going to come back from this. So you have a little bit of like front end loading there with your emotions. It's still grief. It just starts at a different time. And then so that at the date of death, you're you're already a little further along in the journey. And I, I try to tell people that, you know, it doesn't start all over again at the date of death. You, you really have made a lot of progress and you need to give yourself credit for that. You're You're further along and you're stronger in this journey than you think you are. And then, yes, for the sudden death, I mean, I like to say, I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. If you not, can. you can edit it out. It's, <laughs> By a all whole, means. it's a whole different phase of fucked up. Yeah. I mean, it, so I tried to explain it to a friend who had had lost somebody. I said, you know, with, with your loss, respectfully, you had to, if you had to clean out a cabinet and you had to put their, you know, your emotions away, you're taking each glass out, you're wrapping it in bubble wrap and you're putting it in the in the box. It's an arduous task. You got to really examine the emotions. You put it all together. You know, it takes a long time. For me, someone stuck dynamite in that glass cabinet, set it off and then said, okay, now put all those shards back together, wrap up all those glasses, try not to completely cut yourself and destroy your hands along the way and then put the box back. Mm. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> my my journey was. I mean, it's like an unimaginable thing. Uh, you know, I, ten years ago, my dad had six bypass. Um, mm. It was one of those things like we're literally right after Hurricane Sandy. It's such a weird story. He was like talking to my mom, and he was like, "Oh, I feel really dizzy. Like I'm not sure what's going on." Called an ambulance, went to the do- hospital. Two days later, he's having open heart surgery. <clears throat> the doctor comes out of the procedure, and he's like, "Your husband should be dead." So like, oh. yeah, he had, I mean, six bypasses, like bonkers, right? Like I've heard of like three yeah. and four, but not six, right? So I've never heard of six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's an overachiever for sure. Um, so when you have like those kind of happenstances in your life, like every additional day is a blessing. And I think when that transpired, it put a lot of context into life. Like when my grandmother died, she was 91. It was unexpected, but she was 91, right? You look back Mm -hmm. on it, she had lived a full life. My dad was also in his 60s. So had he passed away there, you couldn't have prepared for that. Like that, there there mm-hmm. was an immediacy to what transpired, and thankfully he was okay. But like since then, it's like every day is a gift. Like my sister got married two weeks ago. They, you know, they danced. Everyone was crying. It was like this whole big mush fest. I was crying like a little baby. But it was like great because like you know you get them and you get those experiences. But it's like the thing that I struggle with most in life is like how grief has been such a huge catalyst for me in life because it's been able to like repurpose my mind, right? You lose 100%. something. hundred percent. Yeah. It's just such a weird situation because you're able to take something which is just so fucking horrible and then it makes you realize 
the preciousness of life. But a hundred percent. The thing that I would love to know is why is grief such a motivating factor when it comes to like opening your eyes in life versus like, oh my god, I just had a kid or I just got married. Like, why is it? Yeah. Why is it that like a, a, such a negative thing is more of an eye opening experience than? you know, sometimes positive events. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know the answer. That's such a good question. Like why we are able to learn more from the negative than we are from the positive. I think because of how it just so strongly impacts you. Mm. Like with positive things, you're like, yay, that's great. Little <laughs> applause. And then you move on. But the bad and the negative really shake you to your core and yeah. make you stop and make you reevaluate things. My husband and I say, so I was, I'll tell you a little bit about the story with my dad, actually. So I, I was 27 years old. I moved in with my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, on a Saturday. I had invited my dad down. I said, listen, we're all going to go out to dinner, like with his family. And my mom's going to be there. My parents were divorced. It's my mom's going to be there. Why don't you come? Like, I don't need you to help with the move. Because my dad had like really bad back problems, which is interesting. Now we look back at it and we're like, how much of those back problems was actually him being in pain? from maybe having some type of heart issue, oh, shit. but like, but blaming it on that or something. So I said, you don't need to help with the move, but why don't you come down and celebrate? And he was just like, I just don't feel good. No, it's, it's not going to happen. Whatever. Um, I talked to him the next day cause it was mother's day and, and he had called me cause he knew I was with my mom. And then I didn't talk to him again. And that Wednesday he had the heart attack. So there's something very strange in my mind of like, I don't know if he like subconsciously knew or God knew or the universe knew, like I was safe. I was with the person I was going to marry and it was like, okay for him to go or something, you know, mm. that's something I, I've toyed with in my whole life. But so, and then in that time, um, nine months later, my dad's mother, my grandmother passed away. And then six months after that, my husband's mother oh, passed Jesus. away. And she had cancer and it was one of those things where she was sick for a very long time. We were always so worried about her. Yeah. And then to get the call about my dad was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. what Jesus. are you talking about? Like, so my husband and I talk about it in the sense of it really sucks that this is how the world works and that you have to go through such horrible things to understand these lessons but we feel like we're living at a different state of consciousness than we were before. I totally agree. Because it's you're just opened up to so many things about life. And we try to take advantage of everything that we possibly can. I mean, that was what his mom instilled in him. And he says it like she had to start dying to start living. I mean, oh. she traveled the world. She was a part of every possible charity that you could think of. Like she really used the time left for good. Mm. And we say like, we don't want to wait until that. We don't want to wait until we're 60 and we get terrible news. We, you know, we're in our thirties or, or my husband's not, my husband's 10 years old or he's 40. So, <laughs> but I like to remind him of that every chance I get, but you know, we want to do it now. We want to, we yeah, want to do it your, all yeah. now. Yeah. That, that is an unfortunate byproduct of loss. It's like, why did I wait so long? Right. To like realize the things that are important. I do yeah. fully agree with you regarding the timing of the loss, like whether your dad, consciously or you know whatever felt like that you were at peace I mean obviously I'm sure he wouldn't have picked to die but like I am fully so like me and my brother went to Chicago the weekend my grandmother passed away she had her gallbladder removed on like a Wednesday and she was due to leave the hospital I want to say Friday morning and I mm -hmm. saw her Thursday night and she was like go on your trip like we we're going to Notre Dame to see a Notre Dame football game and it was something that me and my brother both had on our bucket list. And she was like, oh, I saw her Thursday. She was like, go. There's no reason for you to stay. I'm fine. I'm going home tomorrow. And then sometime during Saturday when she was discharged, you know, things just kind of started to unravel. And I am a firm believer that she died when she was because I wasn't there. Like that mm -hmm. was how she wanted it. She didn't want me in the yes. room when she passed away because that would have probably fucked me up big time. Um, yes. And I talk about it all the time because our relationship was extraordinarily close. She was like, she lived with us since we were little and mm -hmm. we were like thick as thieves and truly one of the most important people in my entire life. And she died like that because I wasn't there. I am fully, fully in belief of that. And you're right. So I had a similar situation with my grandmother. She was uh, she was in a nursing home and then they moved her to to hospice care. They said, you know, it, it's it's like 
time. It's going to happen within the next 12 hours. Okay, 12 hours. Okay, maybe the next 12 hours. Okay, maybe the next 12 hours. You know, big Italian family were all around her. And the hospice nurses came in and were like, listen, people really can choose basically Mm. when they go. And maybe she's uncomfortable with all of you being here. And my grandmother was so like that, like was so prim and proper, like literally put lipstick on when they told her they were moving her to hospice. Okay, (laughs) like this is what we're dealing with. And so that one night, it was like three days later, we all left and that's when she passed. So you are 100 percent right. Your grandmother chose, you know, she didn't want to be there in front of you. She wanted to like that to be the last memory you had of her, like that beautiful conversation of her saying, go, it's okay." Totally. Um, I love that you brought up the Bob Saget bit and the Betty White bit, because there have been two recent celebrity deaths that hit me really hard. The Kobe Bryant death in 2020 really really fucked me up and i think Mm -hmm. it it was just the timing of it all he died the pandemic started it left a really big mark on my life because you know as a you know i'm 36 he was someone that was in the nba pretty much my entire life so like from a sports perspective someone that i idolized and looked up to and just the the entirety of that loss right him his daughter a couple of her friends like it was just the most tragic thing that you had heard of right like yeah. just just an unimaginable loss and it really fucked me up for a while like there was a really good period of time where i was like not depressed but i was like jesus christ like this guy mm-hmm. lived his whole life for other people and then just like boom gone and like just the loss of his daughter and the whole thing and his poor wife and the bob saget one has recently messed me up a little bit too because it was just a guy who just seemed to be beloved by everyone. I'm not a single mm-hmm. person have I heard in like the last month or so has said anything bad about him. What do you think it is about like that, like celebrity or, you know, famous person aspect about, um, their deaths that well, like, why did, would that have an impact on a person? Like why, besides the fact that I idolized Kobe Bryant from a sports perspective would have like an actual impact on me myself. I want to start by saying you are not alone oh no i know (laughs) they uh, the kobe bryant thing i mean that really radiated i don't think there was one person that wasn't touched by that you didn't even have to know who kobe bryant was the circumstances of the situation were so incredibly tragic that Mm -hmm. there were families and children involved it it was and you're right it's so bizarre that that happened in a pre-pandemic world which feels like 10 years ago at this point 100 years (laughs) the yeah the reason one of the, there are several reasons for this and some of it is because when these people are in the spotlight like this when you hear about them all the time when you you know especially with bob saget he he literally was a family member that came into your living room through the television you do create an emotional connection to these people mm. more so than than you really conceptualize i think until something negative like this happens another reason is because it makes it real mm-hmm. when you hear things happen on the news listen you turn the news on at, at, at six o'clock 11 o'clock at night there's always tragedies that happen but when it's to john doe and jane smith and whoever it doesn't hit home it still kind of can sound like it's a movie right it's these characters that you don't really know but when it is a real person that you have heard about through decades of your life and you know the ins and outs of their story you know the names of their family and what have you, it really drives home that these horrendous things in life are real mm-hmm. and they can happen. And when it's it's almost like it, it hits like a, a, you know the sixth degree of to your life as opposed to out there floating in the atmosphere somewhere. Totally. So it makes you start to think about the people in your life probably and how real it could be that a best friend of yours or you know another loved one could just go into a car and an accident could happen that quickly especially when you look at somebody like kobe bryant who was basically untouchable Mm -hmm. right i mean just lived on a a different echelon than other humans in life with everything that he was able to succeed and and accomplish in his life for for us to have that realization that that tragedy can strike him, I think made it very real that it could hit anybody, including the people in our lives too. And that is terrifying. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a really good perspective. Um, I've also found like in my own life, like I mentioned earlier, that like all of the loss that I've experienced, whether it is, you know, someone dying or me losing a job, I have 
for some reason or another been able to turn that into a positive, right? Like I rediscovered a new passion. I traveled uh, the country after losing my job in the pandemic. Like there's a, I started this podcast. Like there has been a lot of growth out of Yeah, grief. good for you. Thank you. Um, that's not why I was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I applaud you anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious. So like your, your father passed away. How soon after like you experienced that loss did you decide like, okay, I want to start this grief podcast. I want to talk about mm. life and death. I want to talk about the things like that that will impact other people. Like how did you turn that into what you're doing now? Yeah, good question. So there's a story behind that. So obviously, you know, people give eulogies at a funeral. I am now a professional. I think I've given five at this point, which oh, is like it, not something that anybody should have on their resume. Yeah. Um, but when it came to my dad's, I just didn't think I could do it. And I had actually asked his best friend to, to do it. And a couple of days later, he came back and was like, gee, I know you are capable of doing this. And I think it's a gift that you should give to yourself. And you're, you're going to want to look back and know that you did it. So I did. And it's interesting, you know, I look back now, I'm almost five years out, which is insane from my dad's death. And I probably would have written an entirely different eulogy now, having had the time. But then I was in such a state of shock. It was honestly a page and that was it. And it was basically just like, I don't know why we're here. I don't know why this happened. I'm sure God has a reason. I'm sure blah, 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 blah you know, uh, and I just kind of like called out some memories of my dad. I really didn't even go into who he was. I didn't go into what he meant to me as a father or anything like that. I, I just physically couldn't. Mm -hmm. But um, I had I had said, you know, had he had all these interesting lines and one I finished out the eulogy with one of them. And I just said, you know, like, so so go and keep his memory alive. And and today we drink tonight we ride, which was like one of his like mm -hmm. fight songs when it came to drinking. And the entire church erupted into applause. And it was like that doesn't happen in church kind of thing. And it really did feel so good. It felt so amazing to be able to deliver that for my dad, to make him proud one last time. My dad was very much a storyteller. It felt like I was, you know, an embodiment of him in that moment. So in the days and weeks past or after that, when I was just in my lowest of low and I was trying, you think of anything that's going to make you feel something. Mm -hmm. Like literally just even feel anything inside of your body. You know, is it, do you want to go get your favorite food? No. Do you want to watch your favorite TV show? No. Like what is going to make you feel good? And I thought back to that moment. I thought back to giving that speech. So I started researching storytelling and thought, how could I get more involved in that? You know, it brought me to the moth, which is very popular, which then brought me to Philadelphia's version. They have this thing called first person arts, which hosts story slams. So couple weeks later, my husband and I went to one of these story slams. They randomly pick 10 names out of a hat. There's probably like a hundred people there. I get called up. I tell my story. I tie with another person in that tells the story. We go up into a lightning round, have to tell another story. I tell another story. I win. Uh -huh. I won my very first story slam. It was unbelievable. We like got into the Uber. We're like screaming, like so exciting. It was the first time that I really felt alive after his death. So I figured, how can I keep pursuing this? What can I do? Um, I was entered into the grand story slam. And a couple months later, I ended up telling a whole story about my dad, like 40, 50 people from my family came. It was really like, honestly, like my coming out moment after his death. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just say with the two brain cells that I had left after all of this, I just thought I need to keep pursuing this. This is something that's making me feel really good. Coupled with everything that I had said in the beginning about how much I realized people didn't know what to say to me, how alone I felt, how awkward this conversation is about death, but how it freaking happens all the time mm -hmm. and how people were coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, I went through the same thing. Or, oh yeah, my mom died 10 years ago. I just knew there was something to pursue there. So I, I really wanted to make sure that we have an outlet to talk about it a little bit more. I want to go back to something you said too, with, with your grandmother, of course, being 91, it's not that it doesn't hurt, but it's different when it's the end of a life cycle. Somebody had said to me, and it's so true. I use that all the time. 
But when Kobe Bryant dies or somebody in their 60s dies and it's not in an expected time, it's very different. Mm -hmm. So when people look at grief, all they want to see is the 80 year old woman who lost her husband. People don't want to recognize the people that are you and I that are that are our age that are losing people because it's unnatural and it's uncomfortable. And that's really what I want to dig into. And Mm -hmm. that's why I want to add the entertainment news into it. I want to add the humor into it because that's what our generation relates to. Like, I want to make it more approachable for grief and 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 the millennial generation to be tied in together. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think it's a very valid point because for a generation of people who live their lives so open on social media and stuff, it's very common, at least in my experience, when someone you know goes through a personal loss to some degree, that all shuts down, right? Mm-hmm. They disappear from social media. They're not posting on Instagram. They don't, you know, the the things that quote unquote matter, i.e., not social media, are not where they are anymore, right? They're with their friends. Mm-hmm. They're with their family, and I I can relate to that tremendously because I I genuinely say the same thing to someone when they experience loss. I love you. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, like that's it. Mm-hmm. Like what else can I say? I don't understand what you're going through. I've never experienced that level of loss. Like it is true that like you know both my parents are alive like i can't relate to someone who's like you have lost your father i can't imagine what that's like because my father's still around so i just would be like very similar to the conversation i have all the time i love you i'm here for you and that's basically it um Mm -hmm. i've also learned a lot about grief in the last few years just having gone through therapy um and it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways like you know the five stages and blah blah blah. and like I, i think that the the more people are and to, to your point of like why you started your podcast and the, the reason why I started mine is because everything that we experience as human beings is universal, right? For the most part, lives mm-hmm. are the same. You might have a different job. You might have a different upbringing. You might have a different ethnicity, whatever. But like we all experience this thing called life the same way. And it's that relatability that I would like to get to at the at the core of this conversation with people is because it's so easy to feel like things are different and so easy to feel like you're alone on, in a social media driven world, but that's just not the case. Um, and I think that's, that's really cool that like you, you've chosen to take something which is like very difficult for people and trying to turn it into like, kind of like a positive, um, thing. Yeah. That, thanks. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I want to say too, how you handle it and just saying, I love you. I'm here for you. Whatever I can do is exactly what you should do. I think that people get so scared off by doing the quote unquote right thing and not knowing what that is and worry that they're going to make the wrong decision or say the wrong thing that they often say nothing at all. Mm. And that is the worst possible thing that you can do. Totally. I, the people that I remember are, are the ones that really just said just that, like, I, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. Yeah. And then would maybe just send like even an emoji like a couple weeks later, you know, that's, that's really all that's needed is just, knowing that you're thinking of them because grief can be so isolating and be so lonely. And then when people start to fade into the background because they don't know what to do and they don't know what to say, it, it, it just compounds it even more. Oh, totally. So you're, you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. <laughs> do you find that because you devote a, a significant portion of your, like, I'm going to say free time because you've got a normal job that you like devote a lot to it, to like a, a hard thing, right? Grief is hard. Like conversations mm-hmm. about loss are difficult. Um, do you find there's like an ever present kind of like sadness or darkness or anything about you like on a weekly basis like you've got a lot of great things you're traveling you've got a newborn like life is really good but like when you're constantly Mm -hmm. talking about your grief your loss and other people's like how do you like sort of maybe separate that from you a little bit I'm doing the the Italian hand gestures no one can see this Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no another really good question and you're you're spot on because it did kind of happen to me in the beginning when I first tried to start the podcast, uh, gosh, maybe a year, a year and a half after he passed, because I originally had started with a blog and it was really just me kind of getting my thoughts and my feelings out. And other people were like, hey, this is really cool. I want to join in on it, too. And other people were submitting stories. And then I moved into the podcast. You know, I had to teach myself this whole world. I didn't know what any of this was. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then so about a year and a half later, I started to try to, to launch the, the, the podcast 
And it was really hard. Mm -hmm. I felt myself having to really like mentally prepare to go into this, this story and to talk about my dad and to listen to other people and talk about their grief. And I mean, there was like no such thing as cadence to my episodes because it, it would, I would have to take like weeks in between mm. and it was really tough. And then I, then I think what happened was the, the pandemic, honestly. And, um, I had the, the pandemic happened, the world shut down and I found out I was pregnant in the same week. <laughs> oh, wow. So there was a lot happening in my <laughs> life at the time. Um, you know, I'm working for a hospital system. I'm working like 16 hour days. We're fielding all these different requests from, from the media and everybody trying to figure out what the hell is actually going on. And I just had to put the, my personal podcast completely to the side during my maternity leave. i I really said, okay, let's reevaluate this for a second. Do I want to put this all to the side and say, this helped me for the time that I needed it. It was basically my own therapy. It helped me get through it. Do I want to say, listen, I'm just going to focus on my career and being a mom and you know, I'll still have my grief and I'll still have things that I, you know, that I share with that, but maybe not to this extent. And the amount of messages that I get from people, I, I was just like, you know what, this isn't about me anymore. This mm. isn't just about me moving on from my own grief. It's I'm helping other people. And that's the greatest gift I could have been given from any of this. So I, I chose to keep going. You know, my mom thinks I'm crazy. Some of my friends are like, how the fuck are you possibly doing all of this? And I don't know, but I'm just so passionate about it that I, I feel it really is my calling. You know, I, I feel like the biggest thing, I don't want my dad's death to be for nothing. Mm. And if I can help other people because of what happened to him and what happened to me, then like, I'll, I, it makes me like sleep easier a little bit at night. So, well, that's awesome. I, yeah. So I, um, I really revamped the podcast. I rebranded everything. I redid my website. I, this is when I decided, you know what, we're going to make this fun. We're going to make it funny. We're going to put an entertainment note. We're going to just really do this differently. And since I've done that, I think that's helped because there's not, it's not as dark. It's not as sad. We try to laugh. We try to make it fun. I've found really interesting guests that, have given me the craziest perspectives on grief that I could have never, I could have done therapy 24 hours a day for the next <laughs> three years and still not have come to these realizations myself. Wow. You know, like getting these perspectives from other people has been fascinating. So great question because yes, it was dark. It mm -hmm. was difficult. Um, but then I, I think I was able to pivot in a way that, it's not. And I don't sit here like in somber all day because trust me, my friends and my family would be like, all right, you're getting the fuck away from this <laughs> podcast thing because you're a miserable bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not that way. I feel like, you know, it's, and look, it's connecting me to people like you and we're sitting here having a great conversation. So totally. Yeah. It's been great. It's funny. So like the most recent loss that I've experienced was obviously a job, right? That's not a person, a place, or, you know, it, it's a, it's a place and a thing, right? It's not a, it didn't, uh, have any long-term impact on me from yeah, like, but grief comes in so many different forms. So you're right. You're right to label it as so totally. Um, and for me, talking about it has been sort of therapeutic because not only has it led to so I'm a photographer now. I do this podcast, and the the catalyst that that loss was for me moving forward changed my life, right? Like I wouldn't be doing mm -hmm. what I'm doing today. I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation for you had I not lost my job in 2020. Yeah. Um, and in that regard, there are inherent positive impacts that loss can have on you. And my question for you is aside from the five stages of grief and kind of, you know, dealing with loss, um, what are some things that you could do when you're given a shit sandwich right your father dies you lose something your job like right like something terrible happens like how can you mitigate and work with that grief and then kind of like take these things as tragic events that they may be and turn them into like a life opportunity and growth mm -hmm. first i want to say that the five stages of grief that you referenced are false oh so the the cooler ross uh stages of grief were actually created for people that were faced with their own mortality oh. to process the fact that they were going to die. Oh. So 
Yes. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, was the, the psychiatrist. I believe she was. Uh, that was her degree, psychi psychiatry. She even was quoted as saying that she regrets creating it in the way that she did because it was so manipulated and misconstrued oh, in shit. the public. Right. That there are these stages that you go through, you know, like denial, anger, anger blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that you're done once, you know, it's like the 12 step program for like drug rehab. Like once you get these stages, then you get your little certificate and you're done with grief. Yeah. And that is so false. It is a shit show of just here and there and all over the place. And then you maybe go back to this one and then you go to this one and then you only are in this one for three years. And then you go, it's, there is no stages. There is no linear yeah. feeling. Yeah. So myth busting right there. Love that. And then the so then you're saying what what i'm sorry what was the question how so, can people go yeah so like go ahead. you know you you go through this loss right like and i think you know for me personally like i'm a positive person i've been able to take negatives in my life and turn them into positives but like talk to me about i guess your quote unquote stages of grief and like how you can take something that is inherently tragic and terrible and learn from it grow from it and move on mm -hmm. and like take that loss and like let it build you instead of like break you down the most important thing is you have to feel it in order to heal it. I think people want to push past it. They they don't want to feel it because it's really painful. It's horrible. Nobody wants to feel it. But when you realize that taking the time to really let yourself basically wallow in, in the emotions and the pain and just the devastation that loss and grief can bring upon your life. That is really the only way that you're going to be able to grow and spoiler alert, you really can't run from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you either do it up front or you keep pushing it off. You keep pushing it off. You keep pushing it off, but you're not running from it. You're not, you didn't figure out a way to get around it. You didn't figure out a way to not be sad. You're just pushing it off and you're just really prolonging the amount of time it's going to take for you to return to a better life. Mm. So if you can take that time to sit with your grief, to let it teach you the lessons that it needs to, that's really where you're going to be able to see where you can make the changes in your life. What part of, of your, your psyche and your mind and your body and your soul is it, is it going to impact and where do you need to make the changes to be able to move forward so that it can sit within you in a comfortable way. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's almost like you know a thing or two about this. <laughs> it's almost like, yeah. <laughs> Out of curiosity, do you believe in an afterlife? Oh my gosh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Oh, this could be a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I ask that question a lot. Um, this is 60-something episodes that I've had. And I'm going like 80% people do. Um, I also think that I, I too believe in an afterlife. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's like Jesus Christ superstar or whatever it might be like, right, right. Whatever is after, believe me, I don't have the words to explain it, but I think that belief that there is something beyond what we have now gives me a baked in kind of solace when loss happens, right? Like mm -hmm. whether I'm going to see an ethereal form of my grandmother again, I'm not really sure. But I do mm -hmm. believe that something happens after because, you know, if not, what well, what else is there? What was the point, right? Just like live, die, and that's it. Boom, nothingness. Oh yeah. So I think that yeah. that belief, and I, I think maybe you'll agree, has like given me kind of like the solace for like live your best life. There is something better yes. after, but like do do good now. The importance there is also that the soul doesn't die just the physical person does. Mm. I think that took me a while to be able to understand that because for me, it was like, my dad is this larger than life person who had so much more to do and so many more people to impact. And now he's just gone, but he's not like, no, he can't necessarily impact people in the way that he could before, or he can't be here to experience my daughter and my wedding and these really important things of my life but he did see them or he is around to be able to like his memory still lives on. Like that soul is still a part of this universe. Like well, he Gary lives on Demetio, you, this yeah. being, yeah, didn't just disappear mm -hmm. and we're not just going to forget him, you know? So, so this like longevity of somebody, I think that really helped me to feel better and not just like, it's 
gone. It's dead. It's over. No one is ever going to acknowledge this ever again. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite theories as I've learned of as recently is called the two inch grief theory. And it's really that like this other life that these souls go to or the afterlife or whatever really could only be two inches away. Because hmm. when you think about it, when you're a fetus in the womb, yes, we're going to get this deep right now. I love it. And and someone says to, to the fetus like, oh, you're going to meet mom and it's going to be amazing. And they're like, what are you talking about? That sounds crazy. I'm comfortable where I am. There's nothing else. Nothing else exists out, outside of here. This is life. This is what it is not realizing that this mom that they speak of is only two inches away from them. Oh, and then all of a sudden they're born and oh my God, there's this whole other thing and there's mom and there's this and look how amazing this is. So basically that's the analogy that like we are the fetus in earth basically. Mm. And then we, are we, do we die or are we born again into the afterlife? And we see all we see God, we see our loved ones, we see everything. And it's this whole other life that we couldn't have even fathomed when we were here on earth or in the womb, so to speak. I like that. That's pretty good. Isn't that wild? I'd never heard that before. Um, my, my, so like uh, growing up in a Roman Catholic family and hundred percent Italian, whole nine yards, I have, I now have a very conflicted relationship with, with the religion. And my thing is mostly because it is a human made thing, right? Like that's where I have a problem. Also like a a litany of other reasons, (laughs) but we'll stick with that for now. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) My my thought process is that like when you look at the, the cosmos, right? It is never ending and always expanding. I find it extremely unlikely that we just pulled out of a primordial ooze bucket and mm-hmm. now we're monkeys and now we're human beings and now we're talking on fucking zoom right that's like <laughs> come on like that's just ridiculous in the grand scheme of the cosmos the fact that sentient human beings are having this conversation right now it's just like impossible right like it's just mm-hmm. impossible to believe so that's where my belief that there has to be something beyond because it's just you can't you can't trick me into believing that just evolution was like 100% whoops, this was an accident, a happy accident. We're the only fucking genius level people yep. on the planet like that, uh, uh, in the in the solar system. It's just like crazy. It, it would just be- I too- always go back to that scene in Men in Black where it like zooms out of New York City, it zooms out of the country, zooms out of the globe, yeah. and all of a sudden we're just a fucking marble in an alien's hands. Yeah, I love that. I, and and that that to me is like the, the concept of like, you know, have you ever read the story of The Egg? No. All right. So the egg is like the premise of a person dies. They have a conversation with God. And the egg is basically like, I made you and I am you. Right. So it's like, I created myself to be you to live every human life. So, like, this, the one person is everyone. You are everyone. Right. You experience every level of life through being a cab driver, being a dental surgeon, like whatever, Mm -hmm. you are everyone. And uh, I'm doing a terrible job describing this, but the basic premise is that like the explanation of like who we are and what we are and why we are is it could be anything, right? And like if you think it's just like, oh, you know, whoops, accident, like we came out of Mm -hmm. nowhere, like it's like not the – I think it's just a depressing way to live. Like that's why like people who I think – you can be an atheist and not believe there's like a God, right? You could be an atheist mm-hmm. and not believe in the story of Jesus or Muhammad or whoever. Fine. Mm-hmm. But if you think like there's nothing after your life, that yeah. would be just such a depressing way to live. What would be the yeah, point? Right. Like, what would make right. you get out of bed in the morning? Right. Oh, and I'm very real in saying like, listen, my beliefs could all just be a defense mechanism mm. that I know I'm going to see my dad again and I feel my dad around and my dad is loud as he was on earth and sends a million signs all the time that are just like completely unmistakable. But that could just help me sleep better at night. And maybe it's not, but you know what? That makes me happy. So let me live. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. No, I'm with you on that for sure. But it's like, you know, how much of that is actually probably the other way, but that's like, that's how I think. 
But yeah. Yeah. Um, I always say I'm not in the business of making people believe. Believe what you want to believe. As long as you don't come at me for what I believe, then oh, that's fine. God, if more people felt that way, I think life would be a lot easier. <laughs> right? I know. Gosh. What a different past two years we would have had. <laughs> believe what you want, but just shut the fuck up about what you believe. <laughs> <laughs> that would be make life a lot easier. Um, a lot of my life, like, you know, I'm, I'm a 36-year-old single person. You have the conversations of, like, what's your biggest fear? For me, my biggest fear has always been and will always be dying. And it's not that I'm afraid of death, right? I just don't want to die. Like, I like life. I like being alive. And the fear mm-hmm. of the unknown is probably more likely my biggest fear than the actual fear of death. Um, what is your biggest fear? And Mm. how rational is it that I'm afraid of dying? It's interesting because when you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, like, but you won't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You won't know. (laughs) So it's like it's an unfounded fear almost because if you do die, like, you're not going to know. And then, again, like the two-inch grief theory, maybe you are going to die and you'd be like, whoa, this is awesome. What was (laughs) I so scared of? But... Yeah, I don't know. And my biggest fear, I think, is vice versa. My biggest fear is living and everyone around me dying. Ooh, wow. Being left here alone. Wow. That's also being suspended in the ocean by myself or being suspended in space by myself. Well, I don't think you have to worry about space, but yeah. (laughs) I can't really think of a, yeah, of an opportunity where that would happen, but that is something. There's something about space that's like so creepy to me. Yeah, it's weird. It is a weird one when you think about it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I like to spend each last bit of uh, the last bit of every podcast kind of doing like a rapid little Q and A. Um, some are easy, some are in depth. Like you know, just first couple things that come to mind or, or whatever you know tickles your fancy. Um, oh boy, I will okay. start off with: Are you happy? Yeah, I am. Good. Uh, what's your favorite book? Mm, my favorite book probably option b by cheryl sandberg she was the coo of facebook and she wrote a book on grief and loss after the sudden loss of her husband and it was one of those things that i think was really a turning point in my grief because she talked about post-traumatic growth Mm. and how you can bring positivity to a situation as shitty as this i like that yeah i i actually own that book i so i've got an amazon book buying problem and okay. a non-reading <laughs> problem. I read about fifteen or so. But <laughs> you read the covers. Yeah, I've got I've got hundreds and hundreds of books, and I read about ten to twelve a year. So I got to do better. Well, go pick that one up and and read that one. Yeah, I like that. Um, what's your uh, What's your favorite movie? Oh gosh, probably oh. like Ocean's Eleven or something. Oh, like, like Ocean's that. Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, or Thirteen. I loved all of them. Very good. I I was very disappointed in Ocean's Eight. I thought it could have been so yeah. good. I it had yeah. such high hopes for it. Ocean's t- like 11 it, when it came out was like, holy shit, this is so cool. Oh, I remember being in the movie theater, like not wanting to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to miss a second. <laughs> it was also one of those movies that I I wanted to see it immediately over again because of all the details that you were going to look at differently once you know the outcome of the story. Yeah, that's uh, I, I like that movie a lot too. And, and the storytelling, yeah. the way they like brought that. Yeah really good and the way they banter together and just the casting every single one of them are just perfect yeah i could every time it's on tv i re it's one of those movies i re-watch as if i've never seen it before every time it's on tnt i'm like why am i watching yeah. fucking a movie that i own with commercials on fucking tnt right. for the three thousandth <laughs> time but yeah can't, can't turn it off it's super good yep. um what's yep. your favorite food pasta of any form that my mother makes nice um yeah. What are you most proud of? Probably the podcast. Probably, I mean, between the technicality of it and really like researching everything to get myself to the point that I am, but also what it means to me emotionally and to have been able to take this really tough situation of my life and try to make the best of it and help others along the way. Oh, I love that. And the amazing human being that I created in the other room because she's the best. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she's almost two, so 
enjoy like that first. Oh, don't push it. <laughs> don't push it. No, she's uh, she's the freaking best. She could have her own podcast too. She doesn't actually say words, but she just talks all the time. I mean, just start putting her on YouTube and you might be the next $28 million a year person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, right? you know, if you're uh, familiar, but the highest paid YouTube person is a, an eight-year-old who opens yeah. toys for a living. Like, shit, I'm going to have a kid just so I can retire. <laughs> right? Yeah. I need to procreate just to make some money. <laughs> um, what is your biggest regret? Oh, oh gosh. I mean, I think I, I go back to like the dumbest things of like high school and like the weekend that I was supposed to spend at my dad's house, but I wanted to go to a party and go to a friend's house instead. And, you know, just all the times that I could have spent more time with my dad, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And of course I was just being a regular kid, but it, it kills me now that those moments I could have had with him and I just didn't. Yeah. I think that's the most valuable lesson that I learned in life uh, is like time with like people and mm -hmm. like, you know, I spent so many weekends and nights in my twenties, like just going out, getting fucked up when I could have just like gone to dinner with my parents or like, you know, yep. had dinner with my brother and my sister. Like, you know, it's the, I think that was the best lesson I've learned is that like time is irreplaceable. People are irreplaceable and like, you should really focus your time and your energy on the people who matter. And, those fleeting kind of, oh, let's go get fucked up, really don't mean A hundred percent. And we're in this world now where literally we can get anything at our fingertips, mm -hmm. but time. Yeah. Time is the only thing you cannot get on demand. And I think that is one of those things about grief too, where it's really made me look at that differently and evaluate where I want to spend my time. Oh, I love that. There, there's some quote from a movie. It's like, no amount of money ever bought a second of time. And I think mm -hmm. it's like the most important thing because like, I've literally spent thousands of dollars on shit in my life that like I don't have anymore and don't matter. And like I would give anything to go back and spend like five minutes with my grandmother. Right. Like that's yep. the the one thing that you learn in life is like it's not about money. It's not about things. It's about people. And yeah, mm -hmm. I completely agree. But um, all you can do is try your best because even if you spent 24 hours a day with her, you would still be feeling more. like I wish I spent more. So there's never like a set amount of time. It's just as long as you can look at yourself and say, I tried my best. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, I talk about confidence a lot in my podcast. So I'm wondering like what, um, what about you like gave you confidence? What gives you confidence and like what kind of gave you the push to start your own podcast and like what, what, like what instills confidence in you? I've always been very comfortable speaking. My family always tells the story of how I was like three years old and I would, I created like this little desk at the dinner table and I would have the newspaper and I would hold a, uh, a teddy bear up over my shoulder as like the over the shoulder graphic and I would deliver the news. <laughs> like I just knew that's like, I was very comfortable that's amazing. in doing that. And then at 10 years old, when my mom got remarried, I stood up in front of a room of 200 people and gave the maid of honor speech. And it was like nothing to me. And I've, I've just felt very comfortable in this space. And like, this is where I feel best. I think it's taken me a long time to realize like that's not something that other people just easily do. Like I, I didn't think I was doing anything special. So I think I tried to be like, all right, well, if I have this ability to do this, like how can I use it for good and how can I really continue to go out there? And um, it's, it's made me feel confident in myself, like how far I've been able to take it. And it's, you know, the imposter syndrome is so real. I don't oh, know if you totally feel that too. Always, but always. Always, yeah. I but I'm um, just trying to, Yeah. go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, from an imposter syndrome perspective, um, I've been fortunate enough to have these conversations with people who are in my profession and are shooting covers of magazines and working with like the highest of high corporations and et cetera. And the, the imposter syndrome is universal, right? You can be mm -hmm, a person who mm -hmm. is the absolute pinnacle of what you do and you will doubt yourself no matter what. And I think yeah. that to me is the most reassuring thing because me feeling like, John, what the fuck are you doing with a podcast? You're not fucking Joe Rogan who sucks, but like you're not whoever, right? Like whatever it might be, right? What are you doing? But it's like, mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone, even Joe Rogan walks into a conversation like, man, I don't know if I could do this anymore, right? Like people he have does. this self-doubt. Let me tell you, I was at a podcast conference a couple years ago and James Altshuler, who's like oh, one yeah. of the top 10 Love podcasters, him. gets like a million downloads per episode, which like imagine 
He said before every single interview, he wants to curl up in a ball on the floor and praise that the person cancels. Oh, wow. And it, like, this yeah. is somebody who is the top at what they're doing. So, yeah. So I yeah, think that for me, like, it. yeah, it, it's like the universal truth is that like everyone feels like a fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably because we like instill in, in the notion of human beings that like you need to fake it till you make it. And like that in and of itself, I think is a negative thing. Right. Like yeah. own your own your aspect of your journey. Like if you're a beginner, be a right. beginner. You don't have to like fake it. Yeah. Just like be who you are. So true. Right. Yeah. When do you stop faking? Yeah. <laughs> like when can you turn off the fake and just be it? But also the whole thing of social media and just people looking like they know what they're doing more than they they really do or. Yeah. Well, it's know, like that. Look at it. Yeah, it's fake. You know, I think the, the best thing that I realized, uh, like I was having a conversation with a photographer recently and there's like this inherent pressure, right? Like I don't have 10,000 Instagram followers. I don't have X, Y, Z. Right. And like the conversation that I had with him was like, I was like, listen, how, how does having this audience, you know, 20, 30,000 Instagram followers impact your work? And he's like, dude, if Instagram gets turned off tomorrow, am I still a photographer? And I was like, Mm. yeah. He's like, so why are you worrying about how many people follow you on an app? Mm -hmm. It's completely Mm -hmm. irrelevant. He's like, wake up every day, get the job, do the work. Like it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, you're right. You're completely right. Yeah. And that's been one of those things that I think has been a a really cool turning point for me. I used to think that Instagram and social media was really the only connection that I had to my audience. And Mm. that, you know, when I would promote an episode, then they would see it on Instagram and then they would go. But like today, I released an episode this morning. And the first thing I do is I, I check my stats. And to see the amount of downloads I have before I even put it out on Instagram is one of those like, Oh my God, maybe I'm not just totally. an imposter and I'm really doing this kind of thing. So I, yeah, the whole, if Instagram went down tomorrow, would I still have a podcast? Would I still have a job? Yeah, that's a, a great question or a, a great wom- reminder for yourself that that doesn't really matter. Totally. I completely agree. Um, what inspires you? Hmm. Just being a better person. I just, just looking back at, I guess, the way I lived my life before, looking at things in a completely different different lens now and just wanting to make sure I make the right decisions in life and that I want to be happy and that I want to spend time with my family and that I want to be a good person for my daughter to look up to. Oh, I love that. Um, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? To handle my grief up front and to feel it and to really get into it before I let it destroy me, which is something that I had said earlier in the interview because of that person who said it to me. Hmm, I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to use that. I, I think very often I take the initial approach of taking that lost grief, whatever, and throwing it as far as fuck possible away from me and ignoring it mm-hmm. until it comes rearing its ugly head. So I think that's a really good um, tip because I, I'm for sure sure not alone in, in in how I handle that. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my last question for you is give me a recommendation, um, for something that you've recently consumed. could be a podcast, a TV show, a movie, a book you've read, just literally anything, something that you've consumed lately that you think everyone should check out. Hmm. Something I've consumed lately. Of course these, I'm like drawing a blank on like anything that I've done in the last month. <laughs> um, I don't know the exact name of it. I think it's called the the chameleon okay. or the 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 Hollywood con queen. Oh. Uh is this podcast and it's about basically this scammer from like India, I think it was, and how they scammed a bunch of people in the Hollywood industry, but not the top tier people, more so like the makeup artists, the fitness oh. trainers on the sets and everything and it really was this whole global con, but it really took you down a rabbit hole and it was a very interesting listen and they had a lot of um like firsthand tapes and like recorded conversations so it was like you were really like right up front to a lot of things that were going on and they made a uh like as the podcast was airing 
like the FBI was like on the case. So like by the time you get to the end of the series, like there's like some real answers to everything. Oh, too. It's very interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Gotta love a true crime podcast. There's nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nothing yeah. better. Um, Gianna- I, I wouldn't be a white female in America if I didn't <laughs> love true crime. <laughs> Totally true. <laughs> totally true. Oh, God, I love that. Um, Janet, thank you so much for the time today. I'm, I'm so appreciative that we had this conversation. I'm, uh, I'm such a big fan of everything that you're doing. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. You have really, really great questions. So oh. kudos to you. You're, you're not an imposter. You're doing a <laughs> great job. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care. <laughs>